This is episode 16 of the Tank Me Later podcast. And before we get into it, our dynasty Q&A, I just want to give you a quick reminder to subscribe to my Substack, noahrubin.substack.com. As of right now, everything is entirely free. So that's three columns a week, as well as this podcast coming out weekly. Well, generally three columns a week. I'll get into why that's not the case this week and has been kind of wonky the past week or so, or maybe two weeks, whatever it is. Um, also follow me on Twitter at NoahRubin22, uh, wherever you're consuming this podcast, Google Podcasts now, um, as well as obviously Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up or five stars or a review, whatever it is, wherever you're consuming it at, just to help support, share this with anybody that's interested in any sort of basketball content, especially with how little fantasy content there really is this time of year, just because we're at that spot in between summer league and training camp starting where it's only rumors to really go on and things that players are doing in their, in their daily lives. So we're just here to just kind of talk about what fantasy basketball could look next year. And really since it's dynasty over the next five years. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get into episode 16. As I said, Dynasty Q&A, the reason that we're doing this this week is, one, because I haven't done one at all, wanted to see how it goes, but also just needing something uh, quick and easy to do. Um, my wife and I are moving into our first house this weekend, so actually when this comes out, we'll be closing on it. So that means I haven't had much time over the past couple of weeks to really focus on uh, producing for this podcast as well as just content on my Substack. Uh, so I've had to focus more on packing, which has been fun. Uh, but wanted to go ahead and do this to get this ready for Friday. So took a Q&A on Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. And just going to go ahead and go through some of the questions. Um, so we'll start. Yes, yeah, so like, like I said, excuse me. I said I posted on Twitter. I meant to say x.com. Posted it there. Anybody could zeet at me or whatever the heck it's called. Post an x re-exit or X, whatever you call it. Um, but so we'll just go ahead and go with the first one from at the educator 23. The question is, who is your biggest fade this season and why is it DeMar DeRozan? Um, whether or not I'm fading DeMar DeRozan this season is entirely based on where he's being drafted at and where he's being ranked at really. Um, I haven't looked at any sort of data for redraft. All my focus has been on dynasty. I will say that I probably won't end up with Tamar on my team anywhere. Uh, just because that's generally the way things shake out as I avoid players that are old, um, which isn't necessarily a good or bad strategy. It's just what I tend to do because I like falling for the hype of young players. So as far as who is my biggest this season I don't think I've set myself on one name I, I don't but I think I'm just going to kind of stick with my overall philosophy of avoiding old guys um, I think I think we'll get into this a little bit more in detail with a different question but the 65 game limit or uh, requirement to be able to qualify for awards I think that that at least helps us see more games out of certain players. I think that for guys like Joel Embiid, you know, he, I believe, hit 65 games last season, if I'm looking at this correctly, uh, or at least close. So that's a guy that's like, okay, he'll probably hit that 65-game threshold, like, as much as he wants to win, and winning is a priority for him in his career. He also probably I would assume still wants to win awards. You know, he just won his first MVP last season, which probably helps maybe the case of maybe he won't hit that as much, but I, I think he will. As for guys like Steph, Kevin Durant, LeBron, um, Kawhi, those are guys that individual awards would be great, help their legacy. Um, but they're not really like, setting them apart anymore. You know, LeBron winning another MVP at this age, obviously 
okay, that's going to help. But I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, LeBron won an MVP. Like now he's better than Michael Jordan. There will be some other excuse, whatever. I think at this point, those guys are more focused on just winning rings. If they play 20 games during the regular season, they end up as a seven seed, have to play in the play-in, but they're healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. They'll take that. They don't care about home court advantage. It's just one extra game. They don't care. So if their teams are playing well, they're ready to win championships. They don't care about the regular season. Like, let's be real. Like they like playing basketball, but if they're going to take days off, if their body's not up for it and that's okay. Like I understand you're trying to win a championship and your body isn't what it was when you were in your prime at 27 years old. That's okay. You know, they're probably also going to deal with injuries. So things like that, I think guys like those guys I mentioned, Kawhi, LeBron, Steph, KD, you know, Paul George is going to have some sort of injury. Um, I'd say guys that I wouldn't say that fits for, um, like I said, Joel Embiid, obviously younger players. Um, I'm just looking through some of the top names. I think Chris Stapps Porzingis is a guy that's had a history of injuries that, you know, I don't think he's a guy that we're worried. I think he hit 65 games. I don't think he wasn't hitting it because he was taking rest days, but I think he's a guy that hits that, um, James Harden may not. I don't know how much he really cares about individual awards at this point. Um, Jimmy Butler is a guy that's had a lot of injury question marks around him just because he has been seen as a guy that will take rest days, but he actually hit 65 games last season. So I think uh, I think he's a guy that ends up being a bit of a steal because people already have it in their minds that he's not going to hit that and he's not going to hit that threshold, but he did it last season. So there's a chance he does it again this year. No problem. And I think because certain guys are going to care about that more and make sure that they hit it to be able to qualify for individual awards. You know, you have guys that are trying to qualify for super max extensions. Like we saw Jalen Brown get today. I think it was uh five year, $304 million or something just absurd like that. Um, that'll encourage people to hit the 65 games. Will it impact everybody? No, but guys that are younger will certainly hit it. And I think that almost makes more of a difference um, than it has in the past, because it's not like, well, you know, you have your guys like your Mikhail Bridges, who's going to play in every single game he possibly can. And you're going to have, you know, guys that just genuinely generally play 70 games like Jason Tatum. So he played 74 last season. And you're going to have that, but you're also going to have other guys that were maybe just kind of trying to listen to their body and, you know, okay, they got 58 games this season. Okay. But they're in the playoffs. Cool. They're rested, whatever. But if it's, you know, only a handful of games difference between you being up for an award or not, you know, there people are going to hit that those few extra games. Whereas I, LeBron's probably my prime example but if LeBron is only going to play 50 games, he doesn't care about getting individual awards. So he's probably a guy that I'd be looking to avoid this season. Um, and then I'll give a name that I was just looking at that I'll probably, oh, I guess I just mentioned him as well. I'm probably going to fade Mikhail Bridges a little bit um, in redraft leagues. I think also in Dynasty, but just because he's going to get off to an incredible start this season. He's going, he, I'd imagine he's an all-star. Um, so maybe I wouldn't say fade him, but I think I've talked about this in one of my uh, columns about sell highs. He's going to be awesome to start this season and he's going to make an all-star game, make the all-star game be an all-star. I genuinely think that he is the face of the franchise in Brooklyn right now. However, I think, Everybody kind of knows, including the Nets, like a championship team is not going to be built with Mikhail Bridges as your number one scoring option. I think it would have to be an incredibly deep team with other equivalent or almost as good scores around with multiple scoring options. Like there's going to have to be so such a deep, well-built team for your best player to be Mikhail Bridges. And that's not a knock on him. I just think that my way of looking at winning championships is 
you need to have a player who is playing like a top five player in the NBA in order to win. That's just, I mean, if you look back at champions, it's not necessarily, or teams that have just made deep playoff runs, it's not necessarily, oh, this guy is a top five player in the league. But at the time, they were playing like a top five player in the league. With the Heat this season made it to the NBA Finals. I would say during the playoffs, Jimmy Butler was a top five player in the NBA. You wouldn't say, who are your top five players in the NBA? Oh, you have to have Jimmy Butler. That's just not the way anybody's looking at it. But at the time, he was playing like a top five player. The Atlanta Hawks are my favorite example because when when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, Trey Young was playing like a top five player in the NBA. Nobody's going to say Trey Young's a top five player. But he was playing at that high of a level, which is why the Hawks went on a run. It's not, I mean, there's other factors, obviously. Every single playoff run relies on more than just, oh, this team plays well, they win. Like, that's not how sports work. But obviously, they had a good matchup with the Knicks. And then, you know, the Sixers kind of fell in on themselves. But also, he was playing incredible basketball. And then went into Milwaukee and scored 40, whatever he scored, 43. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. Was tearing the Bucks defense apart. Had he not stepped on a ref's foot, and this is my biased opinion, I think that there's a real chance the Hawks would have made the finals and won had he not stepped on a ref's foot. Now that also has to do with Giannis getting injured. And now I'm getting off on a major tangent, as I tend to do. All that to be said, sorry, I don't remember. Uh, Mikhail Bridges... It's going to get off to a great start, but I think there's a chance that a disgruntled star at the trade deadline, Brooklyn's automatically a top option. They have the assets to swing for a trade. Does that mean they're going to trade Bridges? No, but it means that somebody else is going to come in and demand more of the offense. So, I mean, I could see Bridges being a second round, like a guy taken in the second round of redraft leagues. I mean, he's probably a guy taken as a redraft, like, of 12 team redraft leagues. I could see him taking the second round just because he's going to play 82 games and he's going to play like an all-star at least to start the season. Now there's a chance his production really dips by the trade deadline. I think that's something that, you know, whether it's dynasty or redraft, you need to keep an eye out for is that that could happen. So enjoy the ride while it lasts, but make sure you get off before it crashes. Now, is he going to be a horrible fantasy option? No, he's still going to be a guy that is no longer producing like an all-star, but is an all-star talent. And he's going to be good. He's just not going to be returning in like value of a second or maybe not even a third rounder just because that there's other, there's other options there. So he's probably a guy that as much fun as it would be to have him, I'm probably fading uh, and it's not because of his talent at all. And that could end up backfiring on me. The Nets could wait till next summer to make a big trade. And then McBridge is just going to have an incredible season. And I'm not going to have any shares of it. That's probably a risk that I'm just going to take. But also that has a little bit to do with just a slightly higher ADP than I probably want to pay uh, to get a, a, to get Bridges. Um, the next question is from at Virgil underscore Daryl. Uh, do you value Kristen, Tristan Vuksevich in Dynasty or just a waiver guy only? I think this depends on league depth. You know, Dynasty leagues are going to be deep. They're going to have, depending on how many teams you have and how deep you go with the rosters, anywhere from bare minimum 250 to 300, potentially way more uh, players rostered. I would say he's a guy that if you're a rebuilding team and you're looking to take some shots on some players, like, hey, maybe one of these guys pans out, he's definitely worth taking a shot on. Um, I think, you know, my 12-team home league has, I believe, 26 players rostered um, per team with 12 teams, uh, 312 players. So he's not in any roster in that league, but I think that he probably could be or should be. Um, so sitting on the bottom of somebody's roster, maybe. I think he's borderline there. So I think he's worth taking a shot on if you can, but I'm not holding a ton of value. Like I'm not dying to trade for him. I think he's like, you get him at the end of a rookie draft. Sure. Like we'll see what happens. Um, but I think it really depends on league depth. Cause if you have a 
if you're only rostering 250 or maybe 300 players, I'm not sure he's worth the roster spot unless you're truly rebuilding, have done it correctly and traded away everybody basically over the age of like 27 and just gotten a ton of draft picks back. Like he's in Washington. Like they spent, I think it was pick 42 on him. Like they're going to be bad this year. So as we've seen with other bad teams, even when they have some good players that can produce, they're probably going to be shut down by game 50 or like 60, potentially a little later. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see if the 65 game threshold changes that. Cause if I'm looking at Washington, they have a guy like Jordan Poole, who I think is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Like him and Kuz are going to be chucking shots. Like Tyus Jones is going to start a point guard and feed them shots. Them and, and Corey Kispert's going to get a chance to launch it as well. So they have these guys that are very talented scorers that will have the ultimate green light. That there's a chance that they could be considered for all stars or most improved, but if they can't win most improved if they've only if they haven't played 65 games. Not saying that Poole or Kuzma could win that, but like if Jordan Poole averages 26 points and seven assists, like, yeah, he definitely could, which I don't think is an outlandish thing for him to do just because we've seen what he can do as a starter in Golden State. And now it's like he's not playing on a championship team with championship requirements. He's probably going to have one of the like loosest leashes in the league as far as what he's allowed to do before a coach gets upset with him. So I guess – We'll see if that changes. Maybe taking teams with good young players, maybe they get to play a little bit more. Maybe they don't, you know, do what other teams have done in the past and like maybe like minor injuries. They just kind of keep them out. I wouldn't be shocked if a guy like Jordan Poole played exactly 65 games. So I guess you have to keep that in mind with how deep into the season your league's going. If your playoffs start uh, last week of February, early March, then you're probably good. But there's a chance that, you know, by the midpoint of March, Jordan Poole has played 65 games and gets shut down. I mean, I think he played 82 last season for the Warriors. So if he has the same injury luck, maybe misses a game or two throughout the course of the regular season, like he's hit his 65 games middle of March, it wouldn't be shocking if they shut him down. But I don't think it's something that we're necessarily as worried about as we have been in the past. Whereas maybe a guy like Tyus Jones or Kuzma, who may not be as likely to win an award, may not hit that 65-game threshold. All that to be said, back to Vucevic, there's a chance that he ends up, I think, playing late this season, more so than early in the season, their rotation. So that's probably when we'll get a good indication of what this guy could actually look like in the league. Um, but as of right now, I'm not putting a ton of stock in him other than, sure, maybe this guy does something. That's probably about where I'm at. Um, the next question, how are you looking at fatigue management going forward? Seems like it's becoming more becoming more the norm across the league, and we shouldn't be dinging players as much because of it. That's from at MacAttack145 on Twitter. Give him a follow. He's starting to do – or maybe he's already been doing it for a little bit. I don't know. I just started following him. But uh, Dynasty content for Sports Ethos, and he's done a great job so far, so make sure you give him a follow to check out uh, some of his content. But the question about how are you looking at fatigue management, I'm assuming that means, you know, players resting back-to-backs, which, you know, I know I've talked about 65 games for every single question so far, and I'm going to continue to do that just because I think it's something that we see less of. Um, Though, I don't know. It's something we'll have to see. This is going to be the interesting season that we find out. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I'm saying you know, players are going to want to get paid. They're going to want to make all NBA teams. They're going to want to have a chance to win awards. They're going to want to play 65 games. Like even if it's exactly 65 and some of the games they're playing five minutes and then subbing out, they're going to hit 65 games, which that's a possibility that kind of sucks because I seriously doubt any coach, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe coaches will be nice and they'll say, yeah, we're going to play him so that he hits the 65 games so that he can try and get awards, but he's playing, he's he's tipping off, he's fouling, he's coming out of game, and he's playing that game. So I guess unless the league institutes, oh, 
65 games with at least an average of 20 minutes per game or has to play at least 20 minutes in 65 games, which is pretty ridiculous if they try to do all of that. Um, it's going to be probably – there's a chance it's more frustrating this season than it has been in the past because they could say, yeah, no, this guy's playing. And then have him foul after the tip, and you've started him in your league, and Van Tractor, ESPN, or Yahoo, or wherever you're playing, says, "Yeah, no, we're you can't change your lineup now. It's already started. The game started, so you have no idea unless coaches or players are nice to us and let us know ahead of time. Maybe on the second night of a back-to-back after the first game, they'll say, "Yeah, like they're going to play tomorrow, but it's only going to be a couple minutes, or we're really going to monitor their minutes, and that's kind of code for don't start this guy." Obviously, they're not looking to help fantasy managers out, but maybe they'll give us a little bit of an indication. So this is going to be an interesting season for that. I think we're going to find out a lot about how much players care about individual awards because right now it's we only have an indication based off just assuming they care and who says what in the media. Like, obviously, Joel Embiid cares a lot about winning MVP. That's not saying he cares about it more than winning a championship or disregarding or being disrespectful towards him. Like, heck, if I was an NBA player, I would care about winning MVP. Like, that's freaking cool. So the fact that he felt he deserved to win it two years in a row, um, you know, it weighed on him more and, and enough to have him say something in the media. Maybe that maybe he cares about it more than anybody else and nobody else would do that. Maybe other players would care more or do care more than him. They just didn't have as much of a chance to win it. So they didn't show it as much. I think we're going to find out a lot this season about who cares about what. And like I said before, some of the older guys, they may not hit 65 games just because they don't care. They're going to say, I want to win a championship. I don't care about winning MVP. And that's fine. That's just the way we're going to find out a lot this season. So I think it's something to monitor that it's almost hard to predict going into this other than to say, I think that there's guys that are definitely going to hit the 65 game threshold. I think there's guys that aren't going to care at all. And there's a chance that we see guys play either tip off. Like we saw uh, the number one example that's coming to my head is Draymond, Steph and Clay. Clay's first game back in like a year and a half. They tipped off Draymond, fouled quickly, and stepped off. I think uh, a lot of guys do that in like game 82 just to hit a game's play threshold for contracts. Like I, I think Drew Holiday did it last year. Maybe I'm, it was the year before. But where they do that, they sub in, foul, go off, game played. Draymond wanted to be there for Clay so that they could have those three and he could be there with Clay in his first game back. Cool. But he was injured, so he just didn't play anymore. We could see that. I think that's something that we're not going to know until it starts. So it's something that hopefully um, wherever you're, if you're doing any sort of DFS or just general sports bets, that that's something that that service takes into account. Um, I know the only one, I don't live in a state where sports betting is legal, but like DFS stuff obviously is. And when I use sleeper for, you know, fantasy lines and things like that if a guy gets hurt rather quickly or some other factor sometimes i'm not even using that specific player and they just say i just get an announcement or notification saying hey we're refunding for this if this line isn't counting like for whatever reason so i wouldn't be shocked if they were very good about that like if guys foul out or foul real quick get out and don't play again if they'll be good about refunding but i don't know if other like services will hopefully but we'll see it's something new Something to keep in mind. Uh, this one comes from at CMS underscore white with a Y. Where do you see Aiton in the future? In a, in a five keeper, 12 team, nine cat league where I probably can't keep him. Should I trade him for a 2026 first or try to get him back in the draft? So if you're looking for a positive answer about Aiton, I'm not the guy. I am probably lower on Aiton than most. Um, and I think there's a chance that I'm proven wrong. And I think that if it's going to happen, it's because Bonnie Williams and Chris Paul are gone. Like there's a chance that Aiton kind of gets back to what we expected of him after his first few seasons. But his fantasy values kind of declined basically since his rookie year. 
could you know a new coach and new point guard in Bradley Beal <laughs> um, be enough for him to feel remotivated, rejuvenated, and have a awesome season? Sure, but I just I don't really see that happening. I'm pro- I'm pretty. Let me pull up his numbers um, from the last few seasons. So he finished. Uh, I think this was year two. Let me. So year one, he finished thirty third in nine cat. Year two, he had the twenty five game suspension for performance enhancing drugs. I believe it was some sort of um, something that he tested positive for that he ended up having to serve his 25 game suspension. Cause I remember John Collins had the same suspension then, uh, but he finished 32nd and then 44th, 45th in this past season he was 56. So he's kind of on a decline. He's going to get you double digit rebounds, shoot a high percentage from the floor, score pretty well, get you a, maybe a block per game. So not great. Not a guy that I'm dying to hold on for. Um, I think, in this, it obviously, I think it depends a little bit on the rest of your team. Like, if you can win next season, then obviously you just try and get them back in the draft. Because, I mean, I'd rather try and go in for it now. However, if you're really not in a position where having him or not is going to determine whether you can win a championship, then I'd probably even try and go for the 2026 first. I'm not, I haven't played in a, keeper league but obviously like i know how they work um a 2026 first could obviously be like a really really good player i'm assuming um that's how that will play out so it just depends on if you think you can win next season if you can try and get aiden back or trade him for a player that will allow you to i guess if that wouldn't really work what i would probably try and do and i don't know the rest of your roster um so I don't know if this is possible, but packaging Aiton and one of the guys you plan on keeping for somebody that's even better, trying to make that work, that's probably my way of looking at it. Because I'd rather do that than basically punt a few seasons down the road. I think if it was a year closer than maybe, but I think waiting until 2026 is a really long time. Um, but that's my way of looking at it. Maybe it's possible my entire keeper analysis is just totally wrong and everybody that's played in the keeper league is like this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard and if that's the case i apologize um the next one um is from at look underscore davis uh which atl wing do you feel is going to emerge from the pack this season if they don't trade for siakam i have aj and bay and just dropped jalen johnson after our rookie draft i'm gonna so i'm very glad that this question is here as a Hawks fan, because I am super excited about every single player. Uh, partially because of my bias, though, I will admit. Um, I think as of right now, if no other trades happen, trade DeJounte, Hunter, Bay, Cap- Capella, or Okongwu is the starting lineup. I think there's a chance they start Okongwu and keep Capella on the roster as a backup. Probably keep it close to a minute split, but just favor Okongwu is like maybe like a 28 to 20 kind of thing, 26, 22. So, which would limit Okongwu a little bit, but it's still better than he's like a better opportunity than he's seen in the past. So, got to take what we can get. Um, as far as, as far as dynasty ranking and value, um, well, I guess this is also. Who's going to emerge from the pack this season? Bay is going to be probably the best option, at least at first. He's going to start. He's a stretch. He's probably more of a three, but they'll play him as a stretch four, um, which is going to open things up a lot for Trey Young on offense. So they need floor spacing there. And Bay is their best option to play power forward. He's... You know, DeAndre Hunter's probably not a bad option to play there either because Bay isn't a great option. But having both of them out there, fine, whatever, whoever's the three, whoever's the four, they're both going to start, at least at first. So that probably means Bay's playing 26 to 30 minutes per game, 
but Jalen Johnson could definitely see 20 minutes per game this season. So I would recommend if you're able to picking him back up and that's again, maybe just cause I'm a little biased, but he's an athletic ball handling forward. Um, the playmaking could come to where he can add a few assists per game, but I think really where his impact is going to be is on defense. He's shown the ability to chase down shots and gets blocked and gets blocks. Um, intercepting passes as well. Like he's going to be active on defense. That's how he's going to get on the floor because he's not a great shooter. So he's not going to be able to provide spacing the way Bay can. So he's the way he gets on the floor is by forcing Quinn Snyder's hand and saying, Sadiq Bay is not good enough at defense. And I give more on defense than he's able to provide. You have to play me more. Jalen Johnson can do that. I think that there's a chance by the end of the season, he's a starter um, or at least, but I'd say bare minimum playing 20 minutes per game. AJ Griffin is going to be a star. Like I, I don't I don't necessarily mean, oh, he's gonna make an all-star game. I don't really know what that looks like. It depends a lot on what he thinks about him. Um, you know, does DeAndre Hunter get traded? Does he end up becoming the starter? But I think in fantasy he's gonna be a really, really good player because He's efficient with the ball, um, both as a shooter. He's a knockdown shooter, but he's also not, unless I'm just totally wrong. I'm going to pull the numbers while I'm saying this, though. He doesn't, like, turn the ball over a ton. And as a rookie, so he averaged 0.6 turnovers per game, only one assist per game. Um, So it's not like he's doing a ton of passing. He's obviously, he's there to score and play defense. Um, But I think... By the time he's part of their starting lineup, which could be as early as this upcoming season, potentially within two seasons, though, um, he's going to be a really good option and fit really well alongside Trey Young um, and DeJounte Murray as a floor spacer. And that's if no trades happen. I feel very, very confident about Capella getting traded, um, even if it's similar to John Collins in that they kind of dump him and it's not because he's not good because honestly, if they're up to me, I'd rather keep him as a, uh, as a backup than just dump him. If we're able to package him with Deandre Hunter to get a guy like Siakam, like the tweet or the Z or tweet, whatever mentions or somebody else that's going to be borderline all-star level talent. I'd like to see that. But as of now, it's hard to imagine that happening, especially with Capella or uh, Siakam saying that he doesn't, or rumors being that he doesn't want to re-sign with whatever team trades for him, like he wants to stay in Toronto. So it's a lot of just waiting and seeing at this point. We'll see if something actually happens, if something heats up. But as of now, there's no clear indication of a trade. So it's just kind of waiting and seeing. But I like... As far as who I'd want for the future, as far as a di- as being a dynasty manager, uh, AJ Griffin one, and then Jalen Johnson two, and then Sadiq Bay three. Sadiq Bay, I think he's a a good offensive player, um, especially when he as he's accepted kind of a. I think he's done this more in Atlanta than in Detroit, but like a, I'm a catch and shoot player role, whereas in Detroit, you know, we saw him have I think it was a 51 point game where he, you can see how hot he can get offensively and like try and do, you know, create his own shot, but he doesn't have to do that in Atlanta with Trey. So, or and DeJounte. So if he's just fine being a catch and shoot player at rebounding, then he's a solid fantasy option, but he doesn't really have any upside the way AJ Griffin and Jalen Johnson do. Uh, the next question is from at dynasty Dizzle, who also, uh, does dynasty football and basketball for sports ethos. Uh, he has asked Kelly Oubre's future. Does Dallas or Boston six man, maybe once the dust settles in Philadelphia or Portland, can he become an option? Um, obviously I have no idea where he's going to sign, but I like the sound of three of those. I don't think Portland would really be interested unless they're just trying to add some offense to sell some tickets. I can't imagine that they would really want to give him money because if they trade Dame, 
and they're starting Scoot, Simons, and Sharp at their one, two, three, get Jamie Grant at the four. Could they bring in Ubre? Sure. But I don't really see a reason for them to, and I can't see him wanting to go play for another bad team. Um, Dallas, you know, they could always add some other offensive options outside of Luka and Kyrie because they don't have a ton. I think Ubre would be a solid option there, and he would get times to be kind of a second option when one of Luka or Kyrie was on the bench. Um, then we have Boston. I don't see Boston, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, they have a little bit of depth. I think outside of like their top seven, there's not a ton. Uber would make them a lot deeper, yes, but like, why would he want to do that? I'm not sure. I think that he would want to be somewhere that he can play and kind of be able to shoot, score, or whatever. And I don't really see Boston allowing that because they have Tatum and they have Jalen Brown and they have Chris Stapps to shoot a lot of shots. And then Derek White, Horford, Robert Williams, and Malcolm Brogdon. So could Ubre come in as like a, a bench scorer? Sure. Uh, but I think he'll probably end up somewhere that he can be more useful. Uh, Philadelphia is a good option, especially if they are able to trade Harden outside of, you know, Maxi, Tobias Harrison, and Bede, I think Ubre fits in well as another scoring option there. So that would be probably, a, I don't know if it's as good as Dallas. Maybe it's a better option than Dallas, but that's somewhere that I would like him as a fantasy player. The other team, um, actually, I don't know if I like that fit. I was thinking Phoenix, just because they can probably use every other veteran they can get, but I don't know if they're going to be able to pay him what he wants. So unless he's just in a phase or the point where he's like, I just want to try and win a ring. I will sit the bench or not sit the bench, but come off the bench if I have to and just score when you guys need me to. Then maybe, but I think, I think Dallas and what was the other Philadelphia are probably the two best options. Um, another question from, at CMS underscore white with Hawaii. Uh, as far as Jalen Williams, Thunder fans are saying he'll be the next SGA. The doubters are saying that there are too many mouths to feed in OKC and he's replaceable. What do you think with Chet back about J-Dub's future? So I've definitely had that thought as well about saying, what does, what does he look like with SGA and Giddy and Chet? And then he's kind of, I guess, the fourth option. And then they just drafted Case and Wallace. They have Lou Dort. They have Usman Jang. They have all these guys. But I'm like, his his game fits just fine alongside those guys while still being a fantasy contributor. He's not some – he didn't just have a great season because he was able to dominate scoring, right? He did it defensively. He was 73rd in nine cap this season as a rookie, which is hard to do. Uh, defend us in the top 100. 14 points per game, four and a half rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.4 steals, a three. He shot 51.7% from the floor and 81% from the line. His value is coming from his steals, right? Over the past, over the last, I think it was two months of the season, he finished, he was 24th. He was the second round player. Uh, average 1.7 steals per game, 18.2 points, 12.8 shots per game. That's that's not that many, you know. Giddy's not a high shot volume kind of guy. Like SGA is going to take the majority of shots. We'll kind of see what Chet looks like alongside of them. But a lot of Chet's value is also going to be from his block shots. Um, Jalen Williams is getting stuff from his steals, you know? So even if the scoring dips from the past two months of the season to for just for this upcoming season to like 14 or 15, kind of like what it was over the course of last season, he can still average three or four assists, five, maybe six rebounds approach two steals per game. Um, he wasn't really getting blocked shots, but hit a three, just be efficient. And I don't see a reason why he can't be returning fourth round value. Maybe. I mean, it really just depends on 
how much like steals are a commodity or not this season. I mean, over the last two months of the season, see, he averaged 1.7 steals. Only a couple of players are able to average more than that. So, you know, if everybody's, if people, if multiple people are getting over two steals per game, that kind of decreases his value. Um, just because, I mean, if it's not as rare, it doesn't, it's not as valuable, but he's going to be really good at getting steals this season. And it's going to be a lot of his value. And I don't think adding in Chet takes away from that. I also think OKC is taking positionless, positionless basketball to the next level. Because you have, you know, SJ and, and Giddy are tall and they're playing the one and two. Jalen Williams isn't that tall, but he's kind of playing the four. Let's see, he's he's six five. I believe SJ is also six five. Giddy's like six eight, six seven, six eight. So they don't really care about height when it comes to positions because I could see them also just starting Casey Wallace eventually and him just being like a defender and a floor spacer. Kind of like Lou Dort, but a little bit more efficient, maybe. And with also a little bit more playmaking. So they don't really care about positions. Like Jalen Williams is going to be on the floor. He's going to play big minutes because he's really, really good at basketball. And that's going to allow him to get steals and get rebounds and get transition buckets. Like he doesn't need to be a top scoring option to be a really, really effective fantasy player. So I'm not too worried about really anybody that OKC adds or drafts taking away from him. Like if, if he's getting pushed out, oh, we just need to stop watching basketball for a decade because OKC is winning every single championship. If he's getting pushed out of the starting lineup, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not too concerned about him. He's going to be really good. And he, already is um the next one or next we'll go with two of these uh at quran underscore tall war 27 i apologize if i said your last name incorrectly uh how would you approach trading for future picks for example 2025 draft supposed to be strong how would you aim to stock up those picks if at all uh quran's also doing it's swishscribe.beehive.com is his kind of fantasy website you find him at he's also known as Styles of Beyond on, I believe that was kind of his uh thing in our Dynasty League. Um, but he's also doing work with Fantasy Basketball International now. So definitely just be on the lookout for some of his content. He's been putting out some good stuff recently. Um, and then another question was at Papervase One, uh, kind of following up on that, or 2024 picks, which is perceived to be weaker, but the 2024 pick placement projection is easier. Based on because it's based on its current team since it's only one year out, basically just easier to figure out who's going to be picking early or late because it's closer and you can kind of analyze teams a little bit better. Um, whereas 2025, 2026, you might be guessing a little bit more. Um, so when we look at that, um, We look at that. Sorry, um, it really just—it depends on league. It depends on league size. Um, I'm trying to pull up Tankathon so I can look at some of the guys. Okay, so from looking at the top guys next season, you know it's perceived to be a weaker class, but there's still good players. I mean, the top two guys are G League guys. Um, some other international guys up top. A uh, couple Kentucky, couple UConn couple guys that we thought were going to go this year that aren't coming out till next year. So I'll start with 2024 just because it's closer. Um, obviously you can, the way that I would look at it is I'm not trying to have any 2024 picks on my team just because it's considered to be a weaker class. That's just my opinion um, as well as the opinion of many. So I haven't, done any sort of deep dive into the class this early. I haven't many, probably other people have, but I'm not trading for 2024 picks. And if I have them, I'm probably trading them out and not giving like the opinion of, Ooh, these picks aren't going to be anybody good. I need to trade them, but more like saying, okay, it's generally perceived to be weaker. 
but this pick could be an early first. Like, let me try and trade an early first because that matters more than the class itself. So I'm probably trying to trade 2024 picks. Um, 2025, I've thought about trying to trade for because of, um, goodness, I'm forgetting his name. Um, um Sorry, I feel like I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Cam Boozer is a guy for the 2026 draft that I know I'm looking at. Cooper Flagg is the other guy. Goodness, everybody's probably screaming that name into uh, whatever they're listening on just because I forgot Cooper Flagg. Um, there's talks of him reclassing and becoming part of the 2025 draft. If that happens then 2025 packs become or 2025 picks become more valuable. But I think it's, it's hard for me right now to trade for them, not knowing whether Cooper flag is going to reclass. Could there be a chance that I suppose also, I don't know, maybe Cam Boozer can as well. I don't know if that's uh, the wrong, if, if Cooper flag is only able to reclass because of some reason that, uh, can Boozer can't, but as of right now, they're both probably going to come out in the 2026 draft. So I've been quietly trying to trade for 2026 picks where I can. Obviously, it's pretty far out, so not every league allows it. Um, but just having a couple chances there. So I've been trying to part with smaller pieces that aren't going to impact my chances of winning to try and get 20. 26 firsts. I'm not as too worried about 2025 ones. Um, which obviously that's kind of hard to do. Uh, it just depends on finding managers because if you're able to win now, you have to try and do that. And I don't think doesn't, I don't care how good Cooper flag is in, um, AAU or, uh, EYBL leagues. Like he may not end up being, like he may go to college and things change. Like that happens. Like guys dominate high school. I can't think of, I can think of so many names of guys that were in my high school class that were like on ball as life and just incredible players that I didn't even, I don't even know where they went to school because things happened or they went to school and did nothing like playing against guys that were five stars that just did nothing. So if I have a chance to win, I'm not sacrificing that to have a chance at Cooper flag um, or Cam Boozer. Now, if I'm nowhere near a chance of winning, then yeah, I'm trying to get 2025, 2026 firsts. And if 2025, you know, Cooper Flag doesn't reclass, I'm trading those back and getting 2026 because if I'm bad and I have a chance of getting Cam Boozer and Cooper Flag, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's a, a guy that's in high school. Like it might not pan out, but somebody else in that class will be good. So I'm not, I guess I'm putting a little bit of stock into oh, there's a chance this guy is generational, but it's kind of hard to plan three years away. So I wouldn't be banking my future on, oh, Cooper Flag's going to carry my dynasty team for a decade or Cam Boozer is because it's just probably not going to happen or not probably not going to happen, but there's a chance it doesn't happen. And the odds of you trading for a pick now that turns directly into one of them and they end up pinning out, those are pretty low. Like, the pick might not end up happening, especially if you're looking at like a 30 team dynasty league, like you may trade all this stuff away and get back what ends up being the 11th overall pick or the ninth pick or it's a playoff team. So it's really hard to plan for that. Is it worth taking a chance? Sure. If you can, but not banking my future on that. Um, okay. So this next one's from at K Raynor two, one, three. So he said, my 30-team 9-cat Luca slash Braun slash DeJounte Cord team finished 14th last year. I'm rebuilding. What should I ask for for Luca? Um, before I read the second part of his question, I'm assuming you've already traded Braun and DeJounte. Um, because if you're rebuilding, like, one, just, just go all in. But asking for for Luca is so hard because... I mean, he's a top three, argue, probably top two dynasty asset. 
So the best offer so far, Fox and Kessler and a first for Luca. And I'm assuming that's Andrew Wiggins, not Aaron Wiggins. And then John and two firsts. Both seem kind of light to me. I agree 100%. Uh, Lucas should cost way more just because like, like I said, top two, at least top three, that kind is the asset. He's only, I want to say 24. Um, Fox is good. You know, he's really good scoring and assists. There's only a handful of players that do that. Kessler's going to be great. Um, shot blocking is hard to find. And a first, I don't really know where the first is in a 30 team league. Um, and you, wasn't specified. So to me, that's not enough for Luca. And then John two first definitely isn't. Um, um, you can make an argument. Oh, it's, you know, the almost guaranteed top three pick in two straight drafts. Like, I still don't think that's enough for Luca. I think it's probably a package for Luca is something that's not allowed in most dynasty formats or most 30 team ones, because there's rules preventing trades like that from happening. You know, you're looking at like a team selling out and giving, I mean, if it's a team that's selling out, probably a win now team will be better with Luca. Those aren't going to be early first. So you're probably, I mean, what are you getting six firsts from a team finishing in the twenties? Like, that's not enough for Luca. So I first tier are hard to trade just because it's 30 teams. So it's hard to say what's going to be early and late. And if a team's adding Luca, the pick probably isn't going to be early. Um, but then if it, so it, to me, it's like you're trading a guy like Jason Tatum and another like upside swing and a solid piece or something like that. Somebody that's like a tier below, with either a pick or a young player with a chance to for upside and another player to help you win now. And that's probably what you take for Luca. But on the other side, like if you have Tatum, another guy that could be an upside swing or, or a first round pick and a guy that can probably help you win now. And I'm not saying like a really, really good player, but somebody that can like contribute in a 30 team league. Are you giving up that for Luca? Maybe, maybe not, but I would say that if I have Luca, that's probably what it takes for me to give him up. It's somebody in that next tier, like the the Tatum, Halliburton, SGA, Lamelo tier, Anthony Edwards tier, along with another asset or two. That's probably what I'm taking for Luca. I, I think it's borderline impossible to trade for Luca or have the desire to trade away Luca now. The thing that helps is if you're rebuilding, Luca's young. So if you're able to trade away other guys and get back assets and depending on your league's rules against taking, you know, maybe sit Luca on the bench a little bit and try and be bad a year or two in a row, like you have then added assets and have Luca entering the prime of his career. So that's probably what I'm doing if I'm rebuilding and have Luca, unless I mean, you're able to trade or get eight firsts and two rookies, something like absolutely absurd. Um, the next question oops, is from at Engle Fantasy BB, Engle Fantasy Basketball. Definitely give them a follow, uh, doing great dynasty and redraft um, fantasy content. Um, so they asked, what do you think happens with the big man rotation for Washington? Doesn't seem to be much behind Daniel Gafford besides Mike Muscala. Do Denny or Bilal Koulibaly see a lot of minutes at the four, possibly even the five, potentially even Vucevic, or do you see another move for Washington coming? And the highlight of this was somebody else um, at Mike Muscala's stat replied and said, Muscala's entering season 11. No one wants hashtag more Muscala minutes more than us or more Muscala minutes than us, but you got to believe the Wizards are looking to add depth here. Like where your head is at, which the fact that Mike Muscala stat line is a Twitter account or a X account just made my day. So shout out to y'all keep doing your thing. That's phenomenal. Um, I think Daniel Gafford, I'm about to publish a column for uh, Roto world, 10 players poised for big seasons or, whatever I ended up titling it and Gafford's one of those guys. Cause 
as this tweet mentions, there's not much depth behind him. So we could see him, assuming he avoids foul trouble, which has been an issue, we could see him playing 30 minutes tonight, 32 minutes a night, and blocking a ton of shots and averaging a double-double. I mean, he had, let's see. Last season, he played 20.6 minutes per game and averaged 1.3 blocks. You know, he, he's averaged at least 1.3 blocks per game every season, including when his, he was a rookie and played 14 minutes per game. He doesn't need a lot of minutes to block a lot of shots. So I think if he plays 30 minutes per game, we could see him average 12 points, 10 rebounds, and like two blocks while shooting an absurd field percentage, like the ideal fantasy or stereotypical fantasy center. Like he's going to be really good, but he's only going to help in a few categories. But he's a guy that I think is going to play big minutes. Uh, Mascala is a nice change of pace guy. And I think, you know, him being a stretch option is great. Um, could they make another new, another move? Maybe. Um, but I don't really see that happening early on. Maybe at the trade deadline, um, you know, if, if Gafford's playing really well, maybe they're trying to trade him. I mean, he's only 20, he's going to be 25 by the time the season starts. He's not old, but if they're able to get good value, they might deal him to a contender, which would probably open up minutes for somebody, but I don't really know who that is. Uh, I definitely, Denny Avdija playing minutes at the four, um, potentially at the five, but probably more at the four behind Kuz. Koulibaly at the three and four, sure. I don't really see either of them playing the five unless they, like, Wasuncell Jr. just really wants to experiment with a smaller lineup, uh, in which case we could even see Kuz at the five, but that just limits the defense so, so much. Um, one of those guys probably limits the defense a little less, but I don't think it's a great option. So could they make another move? Sure, but I don't think, like, they're going to be bad either way, so there's no desire for them to make another move. Um, so unless the, at the trade deadline, you know, trade off some guys and get a young center in, then maybe, but as I mentioned earlier, Vukcevic could certainly see minutes later in the season, um, when they kind of pull the plug. Um, next one is from at Longy on Twitter, and that is six O's it's L six O's N G Y at Longy. Or maybe it's Lungi. I don't really know. Um, question is, nine cat, eight player keeper. Who to keep out of this squad? Blocks compromised if Brooke is dropped. So the team is Luca Embiid, Devin Booker, Darius Garland, Desmond Bain, Jalen Williams, Alperin Shangun, Tyrese Maxey, Kawhi Leonard, and Brooke Lopez. First of all, just bravo. Bravo. Heck of a team. That's incredible. I don't know if there's four players in your league. That's an incredible team. Um, right there, I think you are actually, oh gosh, I was going to say this pretty easily cut Kawhi and Brooke Lopez, but how do you like pretty easily cut Kawhi, you know? So maybe I'm trying to like package Kawhi and Brooke with somebody else like a, like a Maxi and or a Shingoon and getting somebody just insane. But I, you're just in, like to be able to, I, I get like, you know, you might lose out on blocks if you cut Brook Lopez, but nobody else aside from Embiid's really getting blocked. So if you just kind of punt that, like you should absolutely just win the league. Like that's an insane team. Like just, man. Anyways, and then Kawhi, you know, the game's played is probably the, which is probably why you have to cut him is you don't really know what you're getting and it's hard to predict, but it's, you, you just cut Kawhi. Like he's just too good for that. So I, I don't know if you're able to make a trade, then I'm trying to package three guys of including Lopez, probably Kawhi and somebody else, either Shangun or Maxi and getting somebody really, really good. But unless it's like a four-team league, I don't see how you don't win next season. So just, again, just good job. Um, and that looks like the last question that I have um, on this list. So uh, just thank you to everyone that sent in a question. I definitely plan to do this again. I don't know when. Um Maybe next time I bring in another analyst and make this live so that anybody who wants to join can listen in and watch and drop your questions right there, which I think would be a lot of fun. 
Um, and then, as you may have noticed, I get tired talking for an hour straight. I guess not everybody's built like Josh Lloyd and can just kind of do this every day. Um, so having another voice in here will be fun. And that way I can also get a water break every once in a while and just another perspective. So that's going to do it. As I said, uh, episode 16 of the tank me later podcast. So, um, hopefully next week we'll get back to just doing three columns in a podcast each week. Um, even if this week was a little bit strange, but as I said, my Substack is no ruben.substack.com. Uh, Tank Me Later podcast, find it pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Follow me on x.com at noahrubin22. Feel free to ask me dynasty questions even when I'm not doing a Q&A or just general fantasy questions. You can also find um, my work for Roto World on, at nbcsports.com under the fantasy basketball section. And as I mentioned earlier, um, or maybe I didn't, honestly, it was an hour ago and I kind of forgot if I did or not. Um, Adam King for Fantasy Basketball International got together some dynasty or not dynasty, just fantasy analysts starting to do a industry roundtable. Um, so I participated in that one, just gave out my hot take. So if you go to, let me see if I can pull this up. It's medium.com slash fantasy basketball international, I believe, or slash at FB. So I'll tell you what. Go find at Adam King 91 on Twitter because he tweeted it out and you can see, I don't remember exactly how many analysts, but like 10 analysts gave their hot takes for this season. Go check that out. Adam's planning on doing this weekly, getting a lot of really good minds in there to talk basketball and just give their hot takes or their perspectives or whatever next week's question is. So definitely give that um, a glance if you can. Um, but That'll do it for this episode of the Tank Me Later podcast.